Good morning. It's an honor and a privilege this morning to be here and to share God's word with you. What a time we had now during our worship. It was awesome, wasn't it? Um, thank you so much to Auntie Pam facilitating. It was really great. Um, it's, a, it's a big day because, um, again, we are here to engage with God's word and to hear his voice speak to us. And even this time of worship, it was part of uh, doing that. And so, uh, without any further ado, I would like for us to open the scriptures in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to read from verse 39 to verse 46. Luke chapter 22, verse 29, 39 to verse 46. If you have a device and if you have your Bible... I trust that you're already there, but otherwise it's going to be on the screens. I'm going to read from the NIV version. This is what it says. The heading there says, Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Amen. Amen. Let us bow our heads and pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning. Your word is truth. Your word is life. You are the one who speaks into our hearts. You guide, you lead, you rebuke, you restore, you take us to places we've never been what an adventure with you, Lord. I pray this morning as we look at this prayer, this magnificent prayer that you prayed, Lord, from a place of anguish and sorrow, Lord, and you prayed these words. If you are willing, let this cup pass me. And yet, Lord, you still went through with it. We thank you, Father, for these words, this prayer that you prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Louis spoke about the land and the, the places that God has called us to into, for us to step into. And I would like to just encourage you that if you haven't heard that, that, that scripture and the, the things that he was sharing about last week, I would like to encourage you to please go on YouTube and you can download it and watch that sermon again. It was significant for us as a body to understand what the Lord is saying to us in this season. And he even spoke about the, the, the sound of faith and for us to surrender and to surrender ourselves to the Lord. And so this morning I would like to take this portion of scripture that I just read with you now and just go a little bit further as we are heading towards Easter, as we are getting ready for Easter. I would like for us to really just look at this prayer that Jesus prayed. Why was this prayer so important? 
I mean, in John chapter 17, a couple of weeks back, we saw Jesus praying for himself. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for all of us who are still going to come and believe in him. But now, this is a different type of prayer. This is a personal prayer that he prays, and he prays before the Lord. Now, we need to understand that this situation was not an easy one. It was a very difficult situation for Jesus. So, this morning, we're going to look at it. We're going to unpack it and see what is it that Jesus was praying. What does it mean to us today? How do we apply the things that Jesus spoke about in this scripture? And so the title of my message this morning is this, Jesus' prayer of surrender. Jesus' prayer of surrender. Because Jesus was surrendering, he was giving himself, all of himself, to the Father. And so he prays and he says to his Father, this is, this is me, this is all of me, I'm giving myself to you. Now, I want to give a little bit of background. One of the things is this, everything now is happening in the one night. Remember that they had dinner, they sang, and then Jesus prayed for them and prayed for all of us. Then it came to a place where now Jesus had to walk away and he went to this place in Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives, it used to be called that. And he got there and now he's praying, but... It is very interesting because we know that Judas that time had already gone to sell Jesus and he was going to come back with some soldiers to come and capture Jesus. And so I would like for you to take this thing with me, this journey of thinking exactly what was happening in that scene. What was this big thing that Jesus was focusing on in that scene? What was, why was it so important that we can even get the words he prayed in this prayer? And so I would like to say this. It was not as simple and as easy as we read it. There was a lot more taking place than what we just read in the scripture. I would like to suggest that the whole Bible, as you know it today, As we have it in our hands today, the whole Bible was written about Jesus. Everything about the Bible leads to one man, and that man is Jesus Christ. Everything about the relationship with God with us and everything, it was everything was leading to Jesus. It starts off in Genesis, it goes through the prophets, it goes through the New Testament, the kings, everything leads to one man, Jesus And in this scene, in this scenario, we see how it is so important for us to capture this prayer of Jesus. Let's jump right into it. It says that Jesus went to this place where he usually went to pray. Interesting, the word there, usual, if you look at it in the Greek, it says it's a word ethos, where we get our word ethical. It was Jesus' way of doing things to go there and pray. It wasn't the first time that he went in this place and prayed. Jesus went there normally to pray. If you look in the scripture, you don't see even once Jesus saying, uh, after dinner and after this supper, this wonderful last supper, I'm going to go to the Mount of Olives. He doesn't say anything like that, but Judas knew where to get Jesus because Jesus went there often to pray. And so here's the 
challenge that we are seeing Jesus go into this place where he always goes and he prays there. And he engages with the Father in this place. And he says, Father, if you are willing. Jesus goes into this place of prayer. I wonder if you have a place where you often go and pray. I wonder if you have a place where you often go and engage and connect with the Lord. The church setup we have today, it's wonderful. But on a personal basis, how much do you engage with the Lord? In prayer. It was Jesus' way of doing things, to go and pray to the Lord. It was usually what he did to go and engage with God. If we were to take a pie chart now, and we look at your life, how much of the peace in the pie chart goes into time of prayer with him? Because the Lord longs to engage with each one of us in prayer. Judas knew where to find Jesus because he always went there to, to pray. Now we can pray when we are working, when we are with our families, when you are driving to work, when you are busy with uh, things that you need to get done. And so it's fine, but what is the portion of our prayer time to the Lord? It's interesting, Jesus is, is, is saying to his disciples, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. You see, when temptation comes and it grabs you and it finds you, it needs to find you strong in prayer. But if it comes and it finds you weak, there's no way you're going to make it. And so you are called, we are all called to engage the Lord in prayer. I'm called to engage God in prayer regularly, not once a week, twice a month, four times a term. We are called to engage with him. And so Jesus shows us that this is a usual thing. This is what we are to do. We are to pray unto the Lord, not sometimes, but always. So that when temptation comes, it can find us strong and solid. Now Jesus walks and he tells these disciples that they are to pray so they don't fall into temptation. And so now we want to look at Jesus' prayer, and I want to divide it into four main parts. Four main parts. Because Jesus here, he's surrendering everything to the Lord. He's saying, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm submitting myself to you. The first point is this. A conscious surrender. A conscious surrender. Jesus made an effort to go there and pray, and when he got there, he says to the Father, if you are willing. I love it. It says it also in Matthew that Jesus didn't just go and, and kneel and prayed. In Matthew, it says that he went a little bit further and then he knelt and he fell 
face down. It was very difficult for him. But his prayer also is very interesting. Father, if it is possible, may this cup pass me. Why would Jesus pray such a prayer? Didn't he know Jesus? Didn't he know that he's supposed to die? Didn't he know that his mission on earth was to die for mankind? Didn't he know that this moment will come where he's supposed to die? Why will he pray such a prayer? Lord, if it is your, let this cup pass me by. Why must this cup pass him by now? It's like he knew what was going to come and happen, what was going to happen here. But now it's like he wants to walk out. He wants to withdraw from his commitment to go through with it. And so he had to consciously surrender himself. I love the words that he used there. Father, Abba. Father, Abba. The approach is an approach of humility. He humbles himself, Father, Abba. It was a conscious surrender, Father, Abba. The approach is a humble approach. Why is Jesus approaching God with such humility? Oh, we learn from that. That when we approach God as our Father in full humility, we are heard by Him when we pray. When we approach our Father with true humility, with the depth of our hearts crying out to Him, Abba, Father. We are not only heard by him, we are also helped by him. And so Jesus comes into the sinner and he consciously does this, Abba, Father, I know you hear me. I know you can help me. If it is possible, it means it was possible for Jesus, for God to change situation and make it that Jesus doesn't have to go through death. It means it was possible. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't ask. But Jesus asked the Father and he says, Father, if, you are, if it is possible, a conscious surrender, Jesus is giving himself and he says, it's, it's okay. But if it is possible, why was Jesus so afraid? Afraid, why was he so overwhelmed? Now, some theologians, they mentioned that Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully man. So the part where Jesus is man, he was overwhelmed and it was difficult for him. That's what they say, some of the scholars. But we must really look at it a little bit closer and check actually what caused Jesus to be like this, to be overwhelmed so overwhelmed that an angel had to come and strengthen him. It was a very difficult place. Now I would like to create this picture for you. If after church this morning, you walk out and when you walk out, you find the police are waiting for you, and then they put handcuffs and they say, you are being held now for a murder that you committed, come with us. And you're gonna go, why? What did I do? He said, no, you, you, you are being found uh, as, as a suspect for murder. 
And then they take you to jail and you call your lawyers and families and they try everything they can and nothing happens. You're still going to jail. And then when you get to the judge, the judge goes, pa, 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 256 years for you. <laughs> and you go, oh, how is this possible? It's not possible because I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong. And you go and you serve 256 years in jail for something that you never committed. How are you going to feel about that? Injustice, isn't it? Can you imagine Jesus now? He didn't do anything wrong. He was innocent. And yet, he was convicted of a crime that he never did. And so he goes in this situation and he, and he willingly surrenders himself. Conscious surrender. Because he knows that if he approaches his father with absolute humility, his father will hear him and his father will help him. And that's why it's so difficult for Jesus. It's tough. Jesus has to pray that this cup, if it's possible, can it pass him? Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered, I always read scripture and I think, why not this and that? I always wondered, why a cup and not a plate? <laughs> Have you ever wondered? I think like that all the time. Why not a cup and not a plate? Because, like I was saying earlier, throughout the Bible, Everything was leading to Jesus. We find the scenario and about the cup in both scriptures. We find it in the Psalms, but specifically we also find it in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15. This is a cup whereby the Lord was saying to Jeremiah, this is the cup of my anger against the sins of the world. I'm going to take this cup and I'm going to make every king, every leader, every person in the whole world to drink this cup of my anger so that they can know that I'm angry at them and that they are rebellion to go out and do their own thing. I'm going to punish it. They are all worthy of nothing but death. And so this cup they're going to have to take and drink it because I'm coming for them. And so now Jesus, when he looks at this cup, he sees all the God's anger, all God's wrath that's going to come upon him when he takes this cup. Oh, but in his grace, he drinks the wrath of God that was meant for us. He drinks every drop of it, every single drop of it. He drinks, he takes the punishment, the sin upon himself. It's very interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he became sin, he who knew no sin. He became sin, he who knew no sin, so that we can be called the righteousness of God. He became sin. Interesting, it doesn't say he became a sinner. No. Jesus was not a sinner. He became sin so that you and I can be called the righteousness of God. He came into our place where we're supposed to be the ones punished for our sin. 
So we can be called the righteousness of God. And so Jesus in this scene, conscious surrender. He gives everything of himself. Father, I know you will help me. I know you hear me. The second part on this prayer is this, a loving surrender, a loving surrender. Conscious surrender, a loving surrender. The conditions of the Father's will were very difficult. Because he was supposed now to take this cup and drink it and punishment to come upon him for the things, for the things he never did. A loving surrender, Jesus, because of his relationship with the Father, he gives off his love. He says, Lord, because of it's you saying, and because of my relationship with you, I give this loving surrender to you. The conditions of the Father's will are very difficult. They require two things. We are to trust in him, no matter what. And we are to obey him in all our actions. Jesus had to, had to take it and say, I trust God that even when this is difficult now for me, I can trust him that in his love, he will make a way that restores everything, that makes everything right. But Jesus still had to obey him, isn't it? He didn't jump out and say, no, I can't do this anymore. A loving surrender. Jesus gave his love to the Father, and the Father received it because Jesus showed, and he shows us even this morning and in our lives, that we are to trust God no matter what, that we are to obey him in our actions. A loving surrender. If it's possible, may this cup pass me. And yet not my will, but your will be, be done. Oh, very difficult. For someone who was innocent, for someone who didn't do anything wrong. This is why it's overwhelming for Jesus. This is why this prayer is recorded for us. So we can know the cost of sin. He became sin for us. God had to crush him because that's what God wants to show. That this is how he deals with sin. When we go out and we do our own thing and we don't engage him and we don't live for him, a loving surrender, trusting in him, and obeying him. The third part of this prayer is this. It's a word called a vicarious surrender. Vicarious surrender. A vicarious surrender means that you come and you give yourself on behalf of someone else. You give yourself to take on someone else's guilt and wrong, and you put it as if it was you who committed that sin or that wrong. And so this speaks about the cost of atonement. The cost of atonement. Not only must this cup pass him by, 
But if sin is something that God crushes, if sin is something that God hates, and yet he's going to deal with Jesus like Jesus is the sin. This was difficult for Jesus because for the first time, Jesus, holy from the beginning of everything, he was always there. Now sin, not only of, <laughs> of people that are living in that time and generation and era, but the sin of the past, the sin of the present, and the sin of the future, of everyone who lived and is alive and is still going to live, they all came upon him in that moment. They all came upon him, and when they came upon him, that's why on the cross, Jesus cries out and he says, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? For the first time, God cannot, you see, can, God cannot exist in the same place with sin. And so for the first time, God has to be separated from his son because he cannot exist where the sin and so in that moment, Jesus feels that there's a depart from God in his life. And he says to them, he says to, he says to Je Jesus, says, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken him? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out to the Father. Because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from a relationship with him. Whenever we sin, God cannot exist in the same place as sin. And so the cost of sin requires nothing but death. And Jesus now has to die for the sins of the past, of the present, and of the future. So that you and I can be free and be called the righteousness of God. And so when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. When we sin, we, we lose our relationship with the Lord and our engagement with him. And for the first time, Jesus is now separated from his father. That's why he cries out on the cross, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Because God doesn't exist in the same room with sin. But Jesus took that upon himself. He became a vicarious surrender for not only the present people, but for the future forever. One sin, one, 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 one healing, one restoration, one, one redemption for everyone, only once. Vicarious surrender. We are called to be the righteousness of God. And so when we live we must live unto the Lord. Now, maybe some of you are saying, yeah, but we still sin. If we still sin there and we still miss it here, I still, can I tell you this morning? Yes, we do still sin and we do miss it. If you do it intentionally, there's going to be problems for you. <laughs> but if you, if you live unto the Lord and you, you slip and you fall, the Bible gives us the promise in 1 John 1, that we come to him and he is able to cleanse us because he died for our sin once and once only. And it was enough for the a vicarious surrender. Jesus giving everything of himself so that we can be called children of God.
The fourth part of this prayer is this. A voluntary surrender. A voluntary surrender. Jesus is saying, not my will, but your will be, be done. I would like to encourage you, that is complete submission of Jesus to God. He's submitting everything. He's saying, I'm giving you everything. Not my will, but your will be done. Not only is God's will to be done, but God's will to be done His way. Sometimes we say, Lord, let your will be done, but I will do also this and I will do also that. I will help you, Lord. <laughs> we cannot do God's will our way. We have to do God's will His way. And Jesus, voluntarily, He gives Himself and He says, I will give this all unto you. I'm submitting myself under your will. Everything under your will, I'll give it to you. And so there's nothing less, there's nothing else that is left but for Jesus to go and die on the cross. The angel comes and he strengthens him. And the Bible says that he goes on and he prays more earnestly. He prays to a point where his sweat became like drops of blood on the ground. This man is under a lot of anguish. He's overwhelmed by the situation. And even in that context, he still, he still goes and he, he's overwhelmed by sorrow. He finds his disciples, they are sleeping. And that's why they were overwhelmed with temptation. When the soldiers came, Peter took out the sword and then he struck the ear of one of the, the servants there. And Jesus just told them, guys, this is temptation. Now you're overwhelmed by temptation. Now I have to now fix this. So Jesus picks up the ear and he puts it back. Because they were gonna, the, the Roman soldiers don't take, they didn't take any nonsense. You strike them, you're gonna get killed right there. We were gonna be defeated. Jesus was gonna have to be killed there. They were gonna kill everyone right there because of, there was retaliation. And Jesus restores and he fixes the situation right there. And so we, Jesus volunteers everything. He says, I will submit to you. I would like to lend it and say this. You and I, because of what Jesus has done, we are called to do one thing. And this is this one thing. We are to be able to pay the price of perseverance in order to get the glory of our destiny with him. We are to be able to and be willing to pay the price of perseverance so we are able to get the glory of our destiny in Him. If we cannot persevere so that our character can develop, so that we can look to Him, so we can be formed like, for Him and be like Him, all of it is just meaningless. 
All that Jesus did was so that you and I, our relationship can be restored to him. And so remember, whenever you read that prayer again, that Jesus did a conscious surrender to the Father. Jesus did a loving surrender to the Father. Jesus did a vicarious surrender to the Father. Jesus did a voluntary surrender to the Father. All because he wanted you and I and everyone in the world, past, present, and future, to come to the knowledge of his love for us and his desire to have a relationship with us. Amen. Please stand. Perhaps this morning, as you hear the words and the Lord puts a nudge on your heart and you realize you don't have this relationship with him, even though he has given everything to you, you don't have this relationship with Jesus and you would like to have this relationship with him. After all he has given to you, after all he has given for you to come to the knowledge of him, you still haven't made a commitment to walk with him. To hear his voice speaking to you, to hear him leading you. He has paid a huge price. The cost of atonement was too high. If there's anyone who's got a claim upon your life and how you live, it's only Jesus. Only he died for people. Only he rose from the dead for people. No one else. Only he's worthy of your life. I would like to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If the Lord is speaking to you this morning, I would like to encourage you. And you you are saying, Lord, I want to give my life to you because you gave your life for me. I would like to encourage you to follow me in this prayer as you commit your life to to him. Follow me in these words. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice that you died for me on the cross and yet you died for my sins so I may live for you. I choose this day to commit my life to you. I choose this day to turn away from my own way of living and to live for you. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins so I can live for you freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps you are here and you prayed that prayer. I would like to encourage you where you are standing right now to come, there will be pastors here and the prayer team will also be here. Please come and that we can just pray a prayer of blessing and we can seal this with you because it's towards the Lord that you made a commitment. Not me, not anybody else, but towards Him because He did it all for you. And now you can also declare it openly to everyone that you are also living for Him. I would like to invite you 
in the front for that. Let's clap hands for them as they come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. There will be pastors here. If there's anyone who needs prayer, there will also be baptism. And yeah, you must have a blessed week. Let me just pray a prayer of blessing upon you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for each and every person here this morning. I pray your prayer of blessing upon them, Lord. May you, Lord, become great in their lives. May you, Lord, be the one who walks and encourages them. May you be the one who rebukes and directs, Lord, their path. I pray in Jesus' name that you may bless them, you may keep them, and may your face shine upon them and give them peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a blessed Sunday.